This episode of Fight Stories is brought to you by the fine folks over at Absolute Nature CBD. For the best in all natural CBD oil and CBD oil products, go to absolutenature.com. Plug in the promo code GOONSQUAD. Save yourself a little 20%. But guess what? It's Christmas. The Sunshine Boys and the fine folks over at Absolute Nature CBD want to share the love. So we're giving away some CBD oil and CBD oil products. All you have to do to win is share your favorite episode from season two of Fight Stories. Tag us, tag AbsoluteNatureCBD.com, and use the hashtag Fight Stories Christmas Giveaway. And you guys could win the 30 milliliter, 1,000 milligram CBD oil bottle. That's a $99 value. The CBD oil soft gels, that's a $90 value. And or I should say, or the CBD oil salve, which is a $70 value. And if you <laughs> if you retweet and share the most between now and December 24th, we'll send you all three. Merry Christmas from Fight Stories, the good people over at Absolute Nature CBD, and Noodles. Hey, this is Tyler. You're listening to another episode of Fight Stories. We are here today in Kitchener, Waterloo with uh, our guest, NHL alumni Steve Seftel. Steve, thanks so much for being here, uh, for having us here at your home, actually. We're in uh, Steve's uh, sports room. Steve just put out a book. It's called Shattered Ice, and it's available now. You're going to want to check it out, especially after this episode. So thanks so much for having us here, Steve. You're welcome, Tyler. It's a pleasure for me to have you and to be a part of the Fight Stories podcast, for sure. Awesome. I realize I said us like I was plural. I'm so used to my co-host, John Moses, being with us, but he, yeah, John's not here today. So it's just a one-on-one, but we're, uh, we're going to talk about everything. We're talking about old-school OHL. We're going to be talking about... You know the AHL. This is you played hockey in one of the toughest eras. I mean, ever. I think it's it was just became this. Uh, it's almost like a nuclear arms race for tough guys back then. Ever and everyone did their part. Everyone kind of protected themselves back um, in your era, right? Like yeah. everyone had to. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, I do have an interesting story with a familiar name that uh, I'm sure most of the listeners will have heard of. Uh, my second year in junior in Kingston, our toughest guy was named Mark LaForge. And oh, yeah. uh, Ty Domi's first game in the OHL was uh, against the Kingston Canadians. Or, or at least uh, the first time I saw him play junior hockey was against the Kingston Canadians. And Mark LaForge was uh, known as one of the toughest guys in the Ontario Hockey League at the time. He's a big guy. Big guy. And feared across the league, yeah. right? Uh, well known for his reputation. For uh, being able to handle himself physically, and a big guy like six two two ten, and Ty was a rookie. And first game in Kingston, he challenged Forgy to a fight at a faceoff. <laughs> and I have a chapter in Shattered Ice, and I talk about um, that game. And sitting on the bench as a group, going, "Who is this kid?" He's so small back yeah, then. Yeah, he was like... small, and uh, we didn't know who he was, of course, <laughs> and. It was the fight wasn't the greatest fight. Uh, they kind of rest, 
couple punches and then they ended up on the ground. If you if you watch it, like I know Ty Domi, he had it in his movie that he put out. The um, yes, that's right. Uh, what it takes, the Ty yeah. Domi story, and he there's a they, clip. Isn't they there? line up off the face off, and Domi does kind of like a sweep trip, which is yeah. like you don't see that too often in hockey. And they go to the yeah, they yeah. went to the ice, but it was. And we were all wondering who is this kid, and then <laughs> didn't take long before we figured it out. And uh, like Ty had a terrific career, and yeah, well, I mean, what a tough player he was, and uh, real competitor. But yeah, you're right; it was a different time in the Ontario Hockey League back then, and hockey in general. Yeah, and you know, it was just a different era, and and we're moved into a point where maybe those, if you want to call them enforcers, maybe aren't around, but. But just the guys today, you know, Ty could still play, and that's maybe one of the differences could, back then. He could really skate. Yeah. He, he was a, a just like an overall strong athlete. I yeah. mean, he could have played three different professional sports as well. Yeah, what, uh, that's right. They said soccer, uh, football as a kicker, and uh, and hockey. And he, he says that that hockey was actually his uh, his third best sport, but that's what he ended up going with. So that would that was must have been really interesting to see a young Ty Domi because he's so brash and kind of arrogant especially when he was young I, I couldn't imagine a, tie, a teenage tie domi but i think about our division back then too the uh in the ontario league it was the laden the old laden division yeah we had the m's in the laden division and then in our division the cornwall royals had rob ray the belleville bulls had troy crowder peterborough pete's had tie domi that's just wild um, oshawa generals i think had uh scott mahoney and Tony Joseph and a couple other guys that could really big strong guys, but it was every like you were saying every we were talking about earlier every team had one or two guys like yeah that. yeah it was just it was just really thick and 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 the culture of like hockey back then was very macho like it was more you know geared towards you know toughness I think uh, you know when you get when you get guys like Troy Crowder in the league and yeah <laughs> and you're you know. You're, you got to go against them. That's got to be pretty scary, especially the way he he developed pretty fast. Like he when he came into the league as a rookie, he cut a swath through that league uh, in the NHL. Yeah, so, absolutely. So to see a, a younger version of him, he must have been a lot bigger than a lot of guys. Probably he was a big guy, you know, around six four, and mm-hmm. he was an imposing figure on the ice as well. Yeah, and he w- sure. he played for Belleville, so that would have been your big rival team when you were playing with Kingston, right? Yeah, so. our arch rivals. <laughs> uh, I think he started his career in Hamilton, if I'm right, Hamilton Steelhawks. But yeah, he ended up in Belleville, our arch rival, and uh, we had a lot of infamous run-ins with them. I remember my rookie season <laughs> in Kingston, we had a infamous brawl in the pregame warm-up oh, yeah. in Belleville. <laughs> you don't see that um, anymore. <laughs> no, and it was long. I was injured at the time, and I, I watched, I had a broken ankle, and I watched that brawl from the stands. Oh, wow. So no referees on the ice. Not a lot of fans were in the arena yet, and That's it crazy. went on for almost 30 minutes before it was over, and I had never seen anything like it like it's first time in my life i had experienced wow. that and it's a bit it's kind of terrorizing because there's no rules there's and no one to stop it no right? it's just like a street fight yeah yeah it's almost like that i guess it's very much like the one uh that the uh philadelphia flyers and montreal Canadiens had in the yeah. playoffs the referees weren't out on the ice that's and, right uh, yeah i think it was uh i forget who it was they're shooting the pucks in the other team's net and next thing you know dave brown's out there with he's you know doesn't even have his jersey on and like you get nothing to grab onto fighting oh, like that. Well, so. since we're on to the talking about pregame brawls, I have to tell <laughs> another story. Uh, that same season, uh, back in the day, the Toronto Marlboros were in also in our division. Okay. 
and uh, we so one of the adv- cool things about that is we get to go to Maple Leaf Gardens four times a year yeah, to play awesome. the Marlies, which is a great thrill. And um, we had a game at the Gardens one Saturday afternoon, and one of our players skated into their end during warm up. Like over their blue line and around yeah. their net. Oh, that's that, an, <laughs> that's really uh, laying it down. Right? Yeah, that was laying it down and uh, an invitation. That's another story in my book as well. It's called uh, that chapter's called Saturday Afternoons All Right for Fighting. Yeah, in my book Shattered Ice. <laughs> and as our player was coming back to center, they had a big tough guy named who was a physical defenseman named John Blessman. And okay. He intervened as well as some other players. Uh, and it turned in. And then once that started, everybody came to center ice, and we had a pregame brawl. Who, who was it that skated into the other teams? Uh, Mike Maurice was his name. Okay. And uh, <laughs> he, a was a pretty, <laughs> he was a pretty uh, good fighter himself and could also ha- handle himself physically. And um, yeah, it was a bold move. <laughs> In- incidentally, after that game and d- not too far down the road, the OHL put in a rule that the the officials, the referees had to be on the ice for warm up. So that's where yeah. today you see the linesman yeah. standing at center. Mm-hmm. That rule went in shortly after, sometime yeah. after that altercation. Because there's such a competitive edge in these rivalries and guys are always wanting to like, you know, even mentally you're getting in their head. Like if you're skating over that blue line, you're, you know, yeah. you're messing with them. And, and it's such a territorial thing oh, to protect is, your, yeah. your end, even in the warmups. And that's why you always see the tough guys talking at center. Yeah, and, yeah. and really <laughs> in those days, you didn't dare put your foot over the center red line yeah. to have somebody skate into your zone. <laughs> that was really, uh, like you said, laying it down. Yeah. Oh, that's it's like Wensink challenging the Minnesota bench. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it doesn't get more bold than yeah, that. That's right. Oh, that's funny. And oh, I have a question for you. Uh, did you ever see LaForge fight Crowder? Did they ever fu- hook up to you first know, it's interesting. They're both from the Sudbury area. Yeah. Um, you know, I just saw a, sh- a, a show recently on the Kelvington boys. Okay. Wendell Clark, Joe Kosher. Chase, Kelly Chase. Yeah, Chase. And, and they talked about how those guys had never yeah. fought each other. Yeah, they're like, they treated the, each other like cousins, right? Yeah. So, um, so I know that Mark LaForge and Troy Crowder are both from the Sudbury area, but I didn't, I don't know if they fought. I didn't see it myself. Yeah. But it doesn't mean they didn't along the way, but I didn't see them fight mm-hmm. in junior, no. I'm not sure about professionally. I have a question for you then also about LaForge. Was he not the one that got the lifetime ban from the OHL? Yeah. Was he playing with you when that happened? No. What, so what happened there was uh, going into our, would have been Mark and I are the same age. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were going into our final year of junior. And in the summer prior to our last season of junior, Kingston Canadians traded Mark to Sudbury Wolves, his okay. hometown. Yep. And... I remember being really disappointed because he was, uh, we had two 19 year old veteran defensemen coming back, and mm-hmm. he was one and arguably the toughest player in the league at the time. Yeah, that gives everyone a little room. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and he's a 19 year old veteran, and he, it would have been his fourth year in the league. So, anyway, he got traded to Sudbury. That incident happened while he was with the Sudbury Wolves that season. Okay. I believe in a game against the Guelph Platers in another brawl. <laughs> what, what did he do again? What was the. You know, the under, my understanding from and not being there, just remembering 
what was said at the time is that there was a a brawl of all everybody on the ice fighting and um nobody really wanted to fight him is my understanding given his reputation and he ended up being the third man in some okay. other altercations yeah but not having not been i, I wasn't there, there yeah. so I, it's just what we had heard and that's the thing about that era too is not everything exists on video like it does yeah. today so the stories are really what we have to go on mm-hmm. and, and the, the you know the secondhand accounts and and firsthand accounts of people that were there so it's yeah. uh yeah the, i mean but that was definitely uh a big thing in hockey a guy getting you know a lifetime suspension from the ohl yeah and you know because the ohl is a pretty prominent league people pay attention right so yeah. And then he ended up playing in the NHL after that, but uh, and he did, yeah, he went to uh, he played in the Amer- uh, American Hockey League and uh, yeah, a few other. He had a professional career. <laughs> you kind of get on everyone's radar if you're a tough guy and you yeah. get banned from a league. <laughs> he had already been drafted by the Hartford Whalers and was in the organization at that yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, that didn't hurt him too too much anyway. So if he did, so would he would he have just gone up to AHL then after that or? I can't say yeah. 100% how yeah. that all... I feel like he sat out that season, but I'm not, again, not okay. 100% sure. But I do, do know I played against him in the minors. Okay, yeah. In the American Hockey League on a couple occasions, yeah. Very Later good. after, mm-hmm. when I turned pro, which nice. would have been the following season. What was it like playing against Rob Ray then, That like a young Rob Ray? Because he was... Uh... He, he kind of morphed into a much tougher fighter as he got older, I think. But, like, in in Junior A, he would have probably... Or in OHL, he must have been... Uh, you know. Similar in, to uh, Ty, he was making a name for himself early. Yeah. And uh, people were talking about Rob Ray before we had even played the Cornwall Royals. Okay. We were, you know, you start here from friends or you got friends around the league or other coaches around the league people are talking about certain things and i remember hearing rob ray's name off the ice and he was already building his reputation i I played against him you know three years of junior and then again in the american league because he was drafted by the buffalo Sabres and played he started his career with the rochester americans yeah 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 so like all those like cities are pretty close in proximity and and uh and also in uh in OHL in the southern, you know, the eastern Ontario. Yeah. Those teams, you know, they're, yeah, you're going to play those guys all the time back then. Yeah. And uh, Kingston, what was it like playing junior in Kingston? Because Kingston can be kind of an isolating city, I think. Like, it's like, it's one of the toughest cities in Canada, I, I think so. Like, we've, well, we've interviewed a bunch of guys, like local dudes from Kingston on our podcast, like yeah. street fighters and, <laughs> and kickboxers. Yeah. And, like, it's just like a... You have all these um, different. You have prisons there. You have uh, you know you got universities. You got hockey players. You have uh, you know the military. There's just anywhere you go in Kingston, it's like someone can kick your ass. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You hit on the a few of the big ones there. Like in town, it's usually government, uh, univer- queen the met, the institutions like uh, yeah. So you got your Queen's University and RMC, and then your federal institutions like the penitentiary. So that's right. <laughs> those are three of the big employers. Yeah. Um, There's prison guards, and then the cons that get yeah. out stick around. <laughs> yeah, um, it's a great sports town. It mm-hmm. really is, and uh, it's got a great history as a city. I mean, it's one of the yeah. most important cities in Canada when you go back to our history and uh, the birthplace of Sir John A. Macdonald, our first yeah. prime minister, and you know. It's a great sports town. They're tragically hipper from there. I mean, they have a special place in the heart of Canadians. It's a passionate city, so they love their hockey. They love baseball. Um, 
Queen's University has a great reputation academically and, mm-hmm. and sports-wise. And all those things together, you even talk about the penitentiaries. I mean, they're known for the penitentiary. But all those things together do... There's a lot of great people in Kingston, by the way. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah, like... it's a great city. Like, I loved playing there. And it, but all those things together create a real strong culture. And yeah. it's a sports culture, too. That And, of course, how can we forget Don Cherry is from Kingston. Absolutely, yeah. And he's one of their biggest spokesmen, right? Oh, he's the best. Um, <laughs> oh, it's a great town. I loved playing hockey there. Um, those three years I played there were really good and uh, I like the people and they can get behind a team and they mm-hmm. can sure tell you when you're not doing well either <laughs> as was the case uh, <laughs> I have another chapter in my book Shattered Ice called What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger Yep. I mean it's not a, one of my most proudest <laughs> hockey seasons by any means but it's a heck of a story my last year junior the Kingston Canadians lost 28 games in a row oh that's painful Painful, yeah, you're right. It's and that's why it's worthy of an entire chapter. <laughs> and I'll tell you another funny story to that. So, in 2000, that was the 87-88 uh, season. And in 2008, I got a call from the Kingston Whig Standard, and they said, "Steve Seftel there," I said, speaking, and he said, "We this is Porter from the Kingston Whig Standard. We'd like to talk to you." Uh, about your hockey career time in the city. And at the moment, yeah. I thought he wanted to talk about my career. It, no, we want to talk said, to you about all the losing. Well, he, what on. he said is, we're doing a story on the 20th anniversary of the team that lost 28 games in a row. Oh, my God. And we'd like to ask you a few questions, if you don't mind. I wasn't the only player they had contacted, and they did a, a two-page story. Like, it was a large story, because when you look back, it's really... Even when I tell people today, it's it's almost unbelievable. That 28 games in a row. Is, in any sport, yeah. like you could lose 28 games in a row. <laughs> you guys should get team rings. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you another funny part to this is, in my opinion, the reason the streak ended, we ran out of games. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it, was, it was the last 28 <laughs> games. Didn't make it to the gas station on the oh, empty tank. So what I would tell you, too, is in the chapter, I, I give you reasons... I mean, it didn't happen for nothing. You know, there were some contributing, yeah. more than a few contributing factors, which I talk about. Yeah, I mean, the team was sold, the coach resigned, the trainer resigned, and I guess the whole story is in the book. But it, I mean, it wasn't. There were contributing factors. It happens, right? Yeah. Like you just get into that that uh, losing skid, and you're, you know, how do you break? We out, couldn't you know? stop it. Yeah, you couldn't. They like, literally couldn't stop the bleeding. Like, it's they, funny they, seeing guys jump ship. When, yeah. <laughs> when things aren't going too good, man. Yeah. I remember my brother, he played uh, junior hockey for Bancroft, the Bancroft Hawks, and uh, a couple of the vets left, and next thing you know, it was just like everyone was running. These guys were like, I think that there was like, they're all like rookies. Based, the whole team was almost, everyone was a rookie playing on this team. Yeah, yeah. And they got to go play against like all, you know, teams full of vets and it was just a rough year yeah, for the boys. I think that's something I didn't realize at the time. You you're, you make a good point there. You've got 16 to 20-year-old hockey players. Yeah. You think you're mature to handle these things when you're a teenager, but looking back, were we really mentally yeah. ready to deal with that type of streak? And if without the proper leadership at the that's top... That's it. If you don't have the proper leadership, it is it a It can go road. awry real fast. That's and, right. And things... The wheels just fall off and you don't know how to turn did, it around. Did you have a... Uh, did you guys not have 
much of a veteran presence in the locker room when that was going on. No, so, that's why I say uh, we had a very young team. That's what made when yeah. you mentioned rookies, we had a lot of rookies. We like you said, we had traded we had traded Mark LaForge, yeah, the toughest player in the league, a night who would have been a nineteen year old veteran. I'm just saying, you know, that was another You would have been you would have felt safer. I I think the one thing that I always say about hockey and tough hockey is People that don't like fighting or don't like the rough element of the game, they've never played on a team that has been bullied. Mm. Nothing mm-hmm. is worse than being on a team that doesn't feel like they have the protection because you can't play loose. You can't. Yeah. You can't. Don't feel comfortable. It's like you get a knot in your stomach just going into the other. And intimidation. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Intimidation is part of hockey. You know, it has been. And that you're right. That's a. There is a feeling with having security and yeah. as even not necessarily that every. But you know that when you've got each other's back. That's like, it, right? Like, you can count on the next guy to stand up for you. If someone does something group. cheap to you, someone else is going to have your. Be- someone's yeah. going to step in on your behalf if you can, and then and vice versa. And, and it, that's what propels teams to get, winning. Yeah, you get that cohesion as a group. It, you're right. It creates team a tough. winning atmosphere. Team, team toughness. Tough. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they. Um, and I, I just think that uh, yeah, the people don't pay much attention to that, and and the, also the big difference between age groups, sixteen year old to a twenty one year old, oh, that huge. is a huge difference that people don't really pay attention yeah. to. That they don't understand, like you, know, know, you do need a presence, like a you know a guy who's a bit older that's uh, that can kind of police things for for younger guys, so they can focus on you know contributing the way that they know how, yeah. right? And talking about that team. We had a, a tough player in Scott Pearson, a heck of a hockey player, yeah. first-round pick of the Leafs. He was injured for those last two months of the season. Mm-hmm. We had Brian Fogarty, who is a terrific hockey, like an yeah. amazing hockey player, first-round pick of the Quebec Nordiques. Mm-hmm. Um, he was injured. So you talked about the veteran leadership. Like that, when we, we, we had lost some of that at the end of the year due to injuries. and Yeah. It, those are the things that people didn't see who were just watching the losses mount but there was more to the story than just that's right yeah uh, 28 losses in a row there was other factors and losing coaches and stuff that yeah. like that's i mean that's a big thing yeah <laughs> it was uh, so i turned pro the following season and it was uh there was lingering effects from that year on everybody who played on that team oh really you don't get over yeah that overnight it's hard to leave that behind it, it left a mark on everybody. yeah it's it's it, it stays with you for a bit right because it's like am, is this going to happen to me again or is it, am i am i part of the you know yeah. part of this reason yeah. yeah and i know there's some of the younger players on the team i don't think i personally think never recovered from that season they just and never got the confidence eh? confidence they were labeled i mean i guess they could have fought their way out of it but i just think as a group that team some players did not respond well yeah, that season. like were you already drafted? Then? Yeah, so you're like you kind of came out of that luckily. Yeah, and fortunately <laughs> for me, mark. And the other thing that was, I was drafted, and not only so when that season ended, the Capitals sent me immediately to Binghamton to the to the American Hockey League because mm-hmm. it gave me a chance just to learn the, the ranks of the pro game, and also got me out of that into a, a more of a culture of winning. Yeah, just <laughs> and yeah, it just got me out of that situation that kind of really it was toxic so yeah. it got me out of there into Binghamton now I'm with guys who are professionals and guys I had known from the organization and was there infighting within the team while this was going on like, no was it, it wasn't like no it was that's that's interesting because sometimes you see the frustrations boil over and like yeah that's a great point no we stuck together yeah you're, I, and I've seen that in my career that team 
did stick together in the oh, room. That's cool. That's we cool. were not. That's one positive from that season, and I talk about that in the book. That what didn't I say? What didn't kill us made us stronger together. Mm-hmm. We did not fracture as a team. Oh, that's we felt like the front office abandoned us. Yeah. So you guys kind of banded together yeah. against everyone else. Yeah, that was that's like, exactly right. There's a lot of pressure on. I you called guys, it. Right? Uh, I refer to it in the book as Lord. Of, we were the like Lord of the Flies. <laughs> we we decided we would. Run, the players were going to run the team. But oh, that's funny. As I was saying, a bunch of teenage hockey players. We weren't equipped to do that. That's we right. thought we thought we were, oh, but of course, we yeah. weren't. We weren't. A bunch of teenage guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a t- very trying season, and it was the last season for the Kingston Canadians, which is kind of sad. This episode of Fight Stories is brought to you by AbsoluteNatureCBD.com. Guess what? It's Christmas time, and we're doing an Absolute Nature CD Christmas CD CBD Christmas giveaway. The Sunshine Boys and the fine folks over at Absolute Nature CBD are giving away some Christmas goodies, and here they are. You can get the salve right there, the CBD oil salve, good for massages, the soft gels, and or, I should say or, the original CBD oil, 1,000 milligram, that's 100 bucks, the soft gels are 90, the salve is 70. All you have to do is retweet or share an episode from season two Hell, you can share them all, and that'll enter you in it for a chance to win one of them. Now, if you share or retweet the most between now and December 24th, we're going to send you all three. How about that? It's a $250 value. Uh, Merry Christmas from the boys over at Fight Stories and Absolute Nature CBD. All you have to do is share and make sure you use the hashtag Fight Stories Christmas Giveaway. Tag both us, the Sunshine Boys, and the fine folks over at Absolute Nature CBD. Merry Christmas, folks. And the next year, they were called the the Raiders. Mm-hmm. They wore black and silver for one year. And then the following season, they were sold again and switched to the name Frontenacs. Which, back, which they are. Back to the old Bruins colors. Mm-hmm. So an interesting tidbit about that is the, ki- the guys who were rookies that during the losing streak and who stayed in Kingston for three years. There's only a couple. Yeah. If you look at their stats, they played on three teams in Kingston with three different names. Kingston yeah. Canadians, Kingston Raiders, Kingston Frontenac. So they got more jerseys than you. <laughs> <do it. laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a bizarre... Uh, I've checked that out a few times and it makes... Poor guys. I don't know. Maybe I'd, I'd be love to hear what they think about that. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> or don't. And so in junior... Like, I mean... You you were known as a pugilist yourself. You were you know your second round draft pick, fortieth overall, right? And like that's you know, you had a pretty good career like in, in coming up and uh, but you still had to you know fight a little bit and uh, mix it up, right? Did you, you say I was known as a pugilist? No, you weren't. Oh known no, as yeah, a, yeah, you yeah, weren't known right. as a that's pugilist. Correct, yeah. yeah, so Sorry, you still had to fight. You know, you still had to fight some some battles down there, right? Like yeah, I was not known as a pugilist, and it's it's interesting. Is looking back, going into junior hockey, I fully expected I was going to have to fight. Mm-hmm. And I tell a story also in Shattered Ice how my midget buddies and I, prior, after the OHL draft that summer, we got together on a front lawn and played, which I wouldn't encourage kids to do at home. Do not do this at home. <laughs> but we played a game called Buckets. Okay, yeah. Where you put on your hockey helmets and your gloves. Yep. And you just start punch swinging at each other. Yeah. Some yeah. some people call it locker boxing and buckets is the okay yeah, yeah locker I know, boxing I mean it's, I I know buckets okay yeah. <laughs> um, but that was all because of the anxiety or 
anxiousness, the expectation that you were going to have to fight. Mm-hmm. And these guys, this is midget the league, uh, yeah. not your midget friends, like the little people. You yeah, know? sorry, yeah, midget punching Six... out little people on no, the front lawn. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, we were uh, sixteen and seventeen year olds, yeah. and doing it willingly to what we thought was practice. Yeah, boxing. Was there full cages then? Yeah. Okay, so it was the full it cage. Was full... It wasn't visor league. No. So there is a, a thing where you know when you drop the gloves, you gotta get the guy's helmet off. That's yeah. a skill. So yeah. you can kind of. Uh, I always found that it was funny. Guys that have little tricks, they'd invert the strap so you can't get it. Oh get yeah, it off and, yeah. But uh, that's like a whole other element to a fight in hockey. Well, when you gotta <laughs> get that cage off, right? I'll tell you another funny story. That my first year junior is when the Ontario Hockey League brought in visors as a mandatory okay. piece of equipment. The year prior was just the mm-hmm. helmet. Yeah. So that then they brought in the they were called iTech visors. Yep. They were the strongest visor I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like it was hard. Yeah, the original iTech. The original iTech. Like it was a shield. It was like the. The bubble the kids wear, but only half. Hitting your hand on those well, that's hurt, right? That's the funny, that's kind of the story. So that season, when guys didn't get the helmet off, their hands were butchered because oh, yeah. those visors didn't budge. Mm-hmm. And you would just hear crack, crack, oh. crack on the visor. And you knew if, you always knew when the punches weren't hitting the face because the visor was so hard. Yeah. You'd hear the punches landing. Guys, you can't stop punching. You got, you know. Yeah, I mean? their hands would be mush. Like, hmm. If you didn't get that helmet off, that's Cherry always hated. Don <laughs> Cherry always hated the visors, and I think that's partially why. And then in the NHL, some guys would wear them, and other guys wouldn't. Yeah, so it's a disadvantage yeah. in a fight. And, and then you would get the situation where uh, you know two guys would just look at each other, and they both take their helmets. Yeah, off, buckets right? off and and give it a little yeah. spin at center <laughs> ice, and here we go. I always thought that was the best because it was the respectful way, honorable yeah. way of doing yeah. business. And now it's like you try that, and you're in trouble. So and then my. Uh, yeah, I remember my first year junior. I was, I I was ex- as excited to get in my first fight as I was to score a goal. I mean, to get it out of the way. Mm-hmm. I wanted that first goal, probably a little bit more. Of course, but <laughs> I definitely that first fight always kind of weighed on me. Like, let's just get this over. That's with. right. Yeah. So I can say I've done it. It's behind me, and then if it happens again, it happens. But at least the first one's done. Mm-hmm. And I even remember a little bit of pressure in the room, almost like, hey, it's like time to get that first one out of the way. You know, it was just kind of suggested, let's just get the first one out of the way. Just to you or to other guys? No, like like the, the, the kind team? of as a, as a team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it was almost like, I don't want to say an initiation, but like you said, it was a different time. Yeah, and you, you know what? If your team sees you fight, they respect you a little bit more because they know that you're willing to answer and I, the bell. Right? Yes, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier with that having your back and that team toughness. Yeah. Not that you were going to drop your gloves every night, but that you were there as a group to know I've got your back. If there's a line brawl and you're the one yeah. guy that doesn't fight, you, know, mm-hmm. you don't want to Ned Braden it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I just remember that weighing on me. And then I got the first one out of the way. It just happened to be this. My, I scored my first goal in Cornwall mm-hmm. and it's funny is after that goal I thought just get it all done tonight yeah so I fought the same game nice. I had the gen I had the energy from the goal pumping yeah. me up <laughs> and I just thought I'm gonna fight That's awesome. too and then I challenged uh well I don't know the challenge as much as uh instigated <laughs> a better word for it than challenge uh defenseman from Cornwall got the first fight out of the way and you know that you come they come back in the room the boys are all you know patting you on the back and way to go and um then i got in several i should tell you a bit more i got in 
then I started getting a bunch of fights, and I and I was <laughs> was going pretty good. And I thought, yeah. oh, this isn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Like, I don't know. I was getting cocky, maybe even too. Yeah. <laughs> A little too comfortable with it. And we had a game in Belleville. Uh, and they were our arch rival in the day. Kingston and Belleville hated each other. Great rivalry. Our fans hated them. Their fans hated us. And it was just that 401, 45 minutes away. Mm-hmm. Hate your neighbor kind of. Yeah. Um, Hatfields and McCoys kind of thing. <laughs> and I, we were in Belleville and they had a tough guy named Todd Hawkins who was a, a good fighter. Like, he was a good... I always thought he was a good technical fighter. Yeah, Not I heard, the biggest I've heard his name yeah. before. Yeah. He wasn't the biggest guy, but he could... He had... He knew how to fight. And mm-hmm. that's where I was lack. Like, I was just... I was more of just a wild swing in the fist, but not really understanding what I was swinging at. Yeah. And that was probably the miss... Anyway, he was a... And he was a veteran. He was a 19-year-old. And I was a rookie, and he gave me a whack and a face-off. In a game that was emotionally charged and had already had some altercations, um, our captain was Jeff Chikrin, and he fought Brian Marchment. Oh wow! Who was all too so tough, tough dude? Yeah. Like Marchment's an underrated guy. Oh, absolutely. Like, in terms of fighting, he's known for you know his hip checks and uh, you know questionable oh. hits and stuff. You know, but he's so he was such a rock solid D man, and mm-hmm. he could really fight. Like, he could, and the thing and Chikrin could fight too. Yeah, he's a big boy. Marchman, Brian Marchman would always answer the bell like mm-hmm. he he had come back like if he fought if he fought someone he'd be back the next game like ready to but round if two. he needed to do it yeah round two if I'm here and I, I played against him in the American League too and it was yeah he's a, he's a, he'd probably be a guy you'd love to have on your team oh yeah because I never played with him I always played against him but, uh, I loved when the Leafs got him yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah he is a real competitor but he so this game Hawk, Todd Hawkins gave me a whack, and I just felt like standing up for myself at that yeah. moment. And uh, he he hit me with a bomb, like right right in the mouth, and knocked oh, me oh. out. I went out like immediately. Yeah, like you, did, just, you woke you, up, don't remember. Yeah, and I saw it on video after. My legs just like came out from under me, and I just smelted into the ice. Oh, wow. But I did get to the penalty box on my own power. I remember waking up on the ice thinking... Just get to the box. Don't yeah. make the trainer. Not wanting the trainer to come out. Just wanting to say, I took the punch and now I'm yeah. skating to the box on your own. On my own. On your own accord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Without. Uh, I say that in the in the book that uh, the etiquette was, <laughs> the unofficial hockey etiquette was get. Don't make the trainer come onto the ice if you can get to the box by yourself. Yeah. So that's what was in my head, and I did get to the box on my own power. And you know, it's, again, we talk about concussions and or the lack of knowledge of concussions. Yeah. I remember playing the rest of that period. It was in the second period. It's crazy that you get that you keep playing. Yeah, after you well, got... I played the rest of that period, and I remember skating around like a bit of a maniac. Like I don't even sure I really knew what was happening. Yeah. But then we went in for the intermission, and the trainer looked at me, and yeah, I was not with it. And he fortunately sat. I didn't play the rest of that game. That's good. That yeah. was yeah. It's important. People don't understand how important it is to have good trainers. Yeah. A trainer is so important. They mm-hmm. really do um, notice things that other people wouldn't notice. Like, yeah. I mean, there's a story. I don't know if you heard the one about Joey Koser. When he uh, he knocked out, uh, I think it was Jim Playfair in the minors. And he got called up 
uh, like immediately, like right after, and he had to fly. I think he was on the East Coast, and he flew over to Detroit to play for the Wings, and he had uh, he had uh, punched when he punched uh, Playfair's tooth stuck into, oh, yeah. his, into his hand, yeah. and so his hand was all swollen up, and he was playing in warm up. He's skating around in warm up, and uh, he was but he's skating with one glove. He didn't have his glove on because it was uncomfortable, right? Oh, yeah. And a trainer was like, why is this kid only got one glove yeah. on? So he calls him over and checks and sees what's going on. He found out it was a tooth. He goes, we got to get you to a hospital now. Mm-hmm. They took him to the hospital, and they, they saved his hand. They almost would have had to amputate him. Wow. No, I didn't know that. Hand. Yeah. So it's like a trainer, like, you know, just noticing something that small could have, you know, it saved his, you know, whole career. And like a lot of, you know, obviously that would be... So bad if you had to amputate your, your yeah, hand or arm absolutely. because of a, an infection like that. So yeah, like a trainer noticing a guy hurt, it's really important that they're that they're oh. you know educated on these things oh. now. I don't know that this one was so hard to to uh, spot to either you. because <laughs> just to expand on it a bit more, I had a, I was wearing a mouth guard. Okay, and he loosened my two front teeth oh. with the punch. Yeah, and I needed a root canal because I could oh, wiggle wow. my teeth. That was with a mouth guard in. Like if if, yeah. if I hadn't had the mouth guard in, they would have been teeth would have been gone. Yeah. Thankfully, uh, if I had a root canal, they saved the tooth. But I had to spend two days and in the dentist chair. Been, then he <laughs> would have been skating around and warm up with one glove on. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Yeah, yeah. I always was thankful I had the mouth guard in that day. <laughs> Did you ever feel that that you wanted to avenge that fight with him? Uh no, no, it wasn't. no. I never. It wasn't. You didn't take it personally. No, just... no, not at all. No, I never, I mean, and we did play against each other for the next year or two, he played overage, but no, I never, uh, did he ever chirp you? No, he never did. He oh, was a real, classy. he was a real respectful player. Actually. I like, oh, cool. he, yeah, he wasn't like that at all. Some guys. Say. <laughs> yeah. No, he never, I, he never chirped, you know, at least that's one thing about Hawk. Yeah. He was, uh, but if he wanted to fight, boy, he could throw, he could throw him. Him and Forgey. Mark LaForge used to have, uh, they had some dandies over the years, yeah. No doubt. For sure. <laughs> yeah, and they had another guy in Belleville named Charlie Moore. and Well, those were two tough teams, boy. Mm-hmm. Both sides. Like, we had some tough guys, and they did too. And they had Larry Mavity, who was like a old-school hockey co- OHL coach. Yeah. Who uh, ended up in Kingston years after I left. But that, which I was, I couldn't, that didn't sit well with me at the time. I thought, how can you bring our arch rivals coach to town? I thought that was pretty, <laughs> uh, a pretty bold move when they, but I guess he, he did have a good reputation and he certainly did some good things in Kingston when he went there too. Right on. Yeah. The, um, what do you, what would you say is the best fight that you ever saw when you're in that league, when you're in the OHL? What was the, the one you, that you had a front row ticket to that you thought was the best? Um, boy, the best fight I saw in the OHL. Boy, there's, there's a lot, but I guess um, a couple I can think of. Uh, Troy or uh, Mark LaForge and Craig Duncanson. Okay. Uh, had a couple. Duncanson, Craig Duncanson played for the Cornwall Royals at the time. Two tough guys. You know, I think I got clearer memories of my time in the American League. Yeah. And we had a guy named a player named Bobby Babcock. Okay. Yeah. And I remember his rookie year, he fought pretty much everybody. So him and there was two Serge and Mario Robert oh, the, from the, the Sherbrooke Canadians. Yeah, 
They were amazing. Yeah. Like, they were both really good fighters. I don't know if there's ever been a... There's never been a better brother. No, I don't both. think so. Like, they really were tough. And Serge Robert is, like, the, the mo- one of the most technically great fighters I've ever seen. Yeah, they were both legit heavyweights. <laughs> but Serge was the bigger one, as I recall, the taller one. They, but And then we had a guy named... You probably remember Sean Cronin. Oh, yeah. Cronin yeah. the Barbarian. Yeah, we had him in Baltimore <laughs> for a year. Those fights are a little more... I have better memories of the scraps mm-hmm. in the American League than I do uh, in the OHL. But, yeah, I, so I played with a lot, a lot of tough guys. It was in that era when, like we talked about it, some guys, mm-hmm. Rob Ray, Ty Domi, Troy Crowder, those guys were just cutting their teeth trying to make yeah, it to the Jim next McKenzie, level. Like Jim those... McKenzie, yeah. Um, Jeff Chicken played, uh, I played junior with him, and then he played for the Hershey Bears, but... We were all coming up at the same time. Mm-hmm. Was Mike Stuthers still in the Mike league? Mike Stuthers yeah. was, uh, yeah, I played against him and Hershey. Yeah. I used to, always, I got, used to get those VHS tapes, yeah. like the hockey's uh, hits, bloopers, and brawls, and Stuthers would all, they'd always had those old uh, Hershey clips from, uh, from, from the AHL, and Stuthers would always be in. in yeah, in he, uh, <laughs> I played against him. Uh, that was our arch rival in the American League, mm-hmm. similar to the Kingston Belleville rivalry. When I got to the American League, it was Baltimore and Hershey. They were our closest rival. Played there again four or five times a year. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's interesting as our rink, the Baltimore was not a hockey town. Yeah. So on a regular night, we'd get two to three thousand people. When mm-hmm. Hershey comes to town, it'd be eight to ten. Oh wow, that's insane! Yeah, it's like that. That makes the rivalry so much more. Yeah, it, it was amazing to me how they just if it was Hershey. They just came, and I think part of it's because they expected is, the altercations there's, there's and the gonna be some fights. Yeah, the ba- Baltimore is a tough town, right? Yeah, so. it was. Uh, but yeah, always the crowds were always intense for Hershey, and similar there, they, their fans didn't like us either. Yeah, when <laughs> you a, when you played for the Skipjacks, was uh, was Bennett Wolf around at all? I was he, after him. He just he just left, eh? Yeah, so the Pittsburgh Penguins were in Baltimore prior to Washington. Yes, and then. The Skipjacks were independent for one season. Okay. And then the following season, the Washington Capitals moved in there. And that was my rookie year Mm -hmm. in the American League. Oh, cool. And then I spent almost five, yeah, almost five seasons there. That's cool. And then the following, the year after I left, they moved. The Capitals moved to Portland. Mm. And Barry Trotz was the head coach. And they won the Calder Cup. Yeah, yeah. With that group, uh, Ole Kolzig was on the team. So a bunch of the guys I had played with in Baltimore ended up winning the Calder Cup, oh, but they cool. were in Portland. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Skipjacks never got to hoist the Calder Cup, but the Portland Pirates oh, okay, did yeah. with all those Washington Capitals prospects. That's pretty cool. Who was on uh, Who was on your team back then? What are some of the no- notable names? Uh, offensively, it was like OHL names: Mike Richard, uh, Steve Malte, mm-hmm. Tim Taylor, who won two Stanley yep. Cups, um, John Purvis, Bill Holder, who had a good NHL career, Jeff Greenlaw, um, Sean Simpson, who's now is one of our goalies, mm-hmm. who's now a TSN guy up in Ottawa. I played. Um, and then my favorite coach, which I always talk about, my favorite coach I played for, who wrote the forward to my book, Shattered Ice, was Doug McLean. Yeah. And he had us, um, that was a good story in the book, I call the chapter Musical Coaches. Yeah, yeah. Brian Murray <laughs> and Doug McLean were the coaches in Washington, and Terry Murray, Brian's brother, was the head coach in Baltimore. Okay. And in around January, 
of 90, David Poyle was the general manager of the Capitals. He fired Brian Murray. And he hired his brother. Oh, that's funny. Terry. Like what? Imagine Christmas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there would be a lot of... So, <laughs> brotherly love, right? I don't know if that's ever happened before. Only a, maybe a Sutter. Maybe, maybe. with a Sutter. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we're going to get another Sutter. So, we're going with another one. Mr. Poyle hired Terry Murray to be the new coach of the Washington Capitals. So we needed a coach in Baltimore, and David Poyle sent Doug McLean down to us. Mm-hmm. And so Doug McLean became our head coach, and him and I connected right away. And I always say to people that he was my favorite coach, and I, he's like the type of coach you'd do anything for. Like I say, I'd run through walls for him. Yeah. And some coaches you just want to win for. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to win for him. Like it just that's the way the relationship was. And he, you always felt like he was in the fight with you. Yeah. Like some coaches you feel like they're. They're guiding, but they're not in. The there's a fight. Bar- there's a barrier yeah. between you a bit. They're they're calling it up. They're leading, but they're not in it. And I felt like Doug was in the trenches with us. Mm-hmm. So that year, um, we played the Adirondack Red Wings in the first round of the playoffs. Who were coached by Barry Melrose at the oh, time. Yeah. Future NHL coaches going at it. And Doug was our coach. And they got into an altercation <laughs> through the glass. The benches were side by side. Great mullet, too. Yeah, great mullet. <laughs> That's right. I saw you uh, You had a mullet yeah. back then, too. <laughs> that was the, the 80s hockey hair. Yeah, or yeah. 90s. I guess. Getting into the 80s, getting into the 90s. Yeah, we all had hockey, the hockey hair. And Barry Melrose was pounding on the glass. And they were yelling. Him and McLean were yelling at each other. And the glass partition fell down. Oh. <laughs> and the referee threw uh, Barry Melrose out of the game. <laughs> so we won the series uh, with Mac leading the way. Nick Kiprios was on that team as oh, well, right on. who was also a tough customer. Absolutely. Also another guy, you know, XOHLer, who was making his way up to the pro ranks. And an analyst. Uh, yeah. With, yeah. Was he with McLean on Yeah, on yeah. uh, working for sports. sports that's yeah. right. But another guy who was just on the cusp of getting to the NHL. Mm-hmm. And he was a goal scorer in yeah, junior. Yeah, he had hands. Yeah, but he realized that he was going to have to do more than just than just score. Like he, he the realized ju- the jump is a big leap. And he just yeah. found kind of found what his role was going to be and there was a, an opportunity I think for him as a physical player and to also contribute offensively so he took that's the role he took on, and he turned yeah. it into. A, he won a Stanley Cup with the Rangers. And great career. Great career, yeah. But he was on that Baltimore team, and Doug was the coach, and that was a great season. Great group of guys. We ended up losing in the semifinals to Rochester. Mm-hmm. We're getting with Rob Ray. <laughs> Rob Ray was on that team. Uh, Donald Odette, Mike Donnelly. I think their coach was John Van Boxmeer, if I'm correct. But John Van Boxmeer. There's so. a name. I believe so. Yeah, famous for the the Dave Schultz knocking him out, but also uh, my dad uh, played in a men's league and uh, Van Boxmeer is there and he's just rifling pucks. My dad was a goalie. He's like, I'm never playing again. Oh. My dad retired because <laughs> John Van yeah. Boxmeer had too hard of a slap shot. <laughs> that right. Yeah, we had a we had a really good team and um, another teammate of mine, Scott Metcalf, played for the Rochester Americans. He's really Tough customer in his own right. First round pick of the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, interesting, I talk about him in my book too. Is it, not only was he a great teammate and a scrappy player, he played on the 
infamous World Junior team that played in the punch-up in Piastani. Oh, wow. For Team Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championships. If you've never seen this, guys, you got to go on YouTube yeah. and, and check it out. The punch-up in Piastani? Is that yeah, right? punch-up yeah. in Piastani in Czechoslovakia. Oh, wow. I've, <laughs> I've shown that video to my sons over the years, and they're, it's jaw-dropping for them. <laughs> they don't believe, like, they just can't believe it. So for, in my book, in Shattered Ice, I do tell the story because it was my second year in the OHL when that happened. And Scott Metcalf played for us in Kingston. Yeah. He was one of our teammates, and he was over there in that tournament. Oh, that's crazy. So we were watching that game because, you know, your teammates playing, you're rooting for Canada. Yeah. Like it's a Christmas time right. experience a- for Canadians, right? And I'll never forget it when the brawl started and then the lights to compound it, the lights went out. That was a bad, dangerous move. That was terrible. Like, who thought that was a good idea? Yeah. It's just bizarre. It's a bizarre... Yeah. It's just... A, it's, it's just... It's, it's, a, gonna, it's worth, like you said, it's worth going to check it out. so... Yeah, it's so and crazy. see how far... How things have changed, or maybe how crazy things were. But there's a couple tough guys on that team. Oh, geez. Mike yeah. Keane. Oh, Mike my Everett Santapass. Everett Santapass. Um, I think Brendan. Was Brendan Shanahan uh, on that Shanahan team? Shanahan might have been on that team. We, we'd have to check it out. Yeah. I feel like he's, he might have been. I think I'm not so. Not sure. I think so. But you're right. There were some tough hockey players. Yeah. I think Theron Flurry was on that Flurry team. Flurry was on the team. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, we should we'll have to look at that <laughs> later. But the lights went out, and then of course in the CBC studios, Brian Williams was with Don Cherry. Yeah, and Brian Williams was getting on the back. He's a little bit saying that you know the Canadian players maybe it's a stain on hockey. Like he was kind of taking yeah that an anti fighting stance. Yeah, and Don Cherry was saying no way, man. Like you stand up for your teammates. I don't mm-hmm. care. They're hacking us and hooking us and. Pun- yeah. The Russians were going kind of crazy. Like, they were just swinging wildly. Again, we were talking mm-hmm. about, like, the Canadians, they had probably all been in fights before. A couple guys that knew how to fight. And, the, yeah, the <laughs> Russians looked like they didn't know how to fight. Some, a lot of them had their gloves on, and they were just swinging. Yeah. Like, flailing almost, I think would be a word for it. The yeah. arms were... They didn't. They weren't doing the toe to toe. The Alexander Semen uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> routine. Yeah. Fish out of water. And then I'll, I'll never forget, too, uh, one of the last pictures of the brawl is shot my... A next teammate of mine in Baltimore, a goaltender, Sean Simpson, who I talked to, mentioned a few minutes ago, he's on top of the other goalie from the Russians, kind of shaking it. <laughs> they're, roll, they're rolling around in the goalie pads, not really fighting more, just kind of rolling on the ice, and he's on top of them, holding, them, holding the Russian goalie down. And then both teams were punted from the tournament. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the Russians at the time were not, as I recall, were not in medal contention. Yeah, we had a shot at the gold still. Yeah, we got we kind of got screwed around, and that's there. why it was so oh deflating for the Canadians because the Russians had nothing to lose. They were yeah out an off year or whatever happened to them. They were just like, well, what do we got to lose by brawling? Yeah, exactly. Canada lost. It cost them potentially the gold. So and then when they came, but when they came back. A lot of the teams did ceremonies for those guys, and I know we did one in Kingston. We presented, they presented Scott Metcalf with his a gold medal. Oh, cool! Um, upon his return, just to say, hey, you guys got kind of robbed. Yeah, and we support you. Oh, that's good because yeah, that would have been like an isolating feeling. Being it was over there, right? So like, yeah, it's overseas. You're by, you know, you, yeah, that that you're not you're not in Canada. 
You're mm-hmm. in a foreign country, and then that happens. And, like, you know, people pin a lot of hopes on that tournament. It's a big oh, yeah. showcase. It's the biggest showcase yeah. for, for up-and-coming hockey players. And, you know, you can it affects draft positions. Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. And that affects paychecks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's such a prideful, a prideful event thing. Your Canada. whole country is rooting for you. And then to feel like maybe the country is disappointed in us and... You know, because yeah. of that, like, so when Cherry stepped up to Brian Williams about that, that was a major move because it kind of um, probably shifted a lot of the perception of Canadians about how that is. Because if the media is running an anti-fighting campaign, yeah. it really does. I mean, we've if you see how fighting's been phased out of hockey, that's the media ran that. Now, I, I always find it hypocritical. They still use fights in every... Uh, pre-game promo to sell uh, the game but yeah. then there's no fights anymore the same people yeah. that like put everything under a microscope and scrutinize it they still use it to sell the game mm-hmm. and make money for themselves but but yeah that like if if Williams was able to just you know have like an unchallenged unchallenged narrative uh that was you know anti-fighting and he could have made it a lot worse for those kids coming back um coming back into into Canada they would have felt like failures maybe yeah i think that was Part of what Don Cherry was concerned mm-hmm. about. He didn't want why? them to be blackguards. I think that's what he said. That was mm-hmm. the term he used. But Cherry um, has been such a huge ambassador for for hockey players and Canadian young hockey players that like that. Like I think that meant a lot to uh, to the players probably on that team. Yeah, and so since we've you've talked, we mentioned Don Cherry. I should say <laughs> I have another good chapter in my book called "Taking the Catching a Cab with Grapes." Oh, nice! <laughs> where I took a cab with Don Cherry to the Boston Garden <laughs> in the nineteen ninety Stanley Cup semifinals. Oh, cool! The Capitals were playing the Boston Bruins. I was on the Capitals taxi squad, so yep. called up at the end of the season. Nice. And my roommate and I, my roommate Steve Malte, we were both called up from Baltimore. We were at the hotel in Boston. We were going to the game, and we were outside the hotel looking for a cab. And we heard footsteps behind us and a voice, and it said, hey, boys, let's go. Let's get a cab. <laughs> it was, we turned, it's Don Cherry. Did he know who you guys yeah, were? He right? just knew. He could tell your hockey yeah. players. Young guys dressed in the suits, and yeah. you know, he loves the suits, right? Yeah. <laughs> he just knew we were hockey players, looking, we were looking for a cab, and he said, so we, all three of us, got in the back of a cab, and we drove to the Boston Garden with Don Cherry, and he done, he talked, he, the whole way over, he was talking, <laughs> yeah. and I just stood, stood, sat there, and stared at him. <laughs> I That's couldn't, so I just listened, I thought, <laughs> I'll probably never get this chance again, I'm not saying nothing, I'm just going to listen to everything he says. <laughs> Yeah, it was great. And then we walked into the rink together, and he went one way, and we went to the room the other way. Caps got swept in that series, four to nothing, yeah. by the Bruins. So, you know, I, I would have been. So he was happy. Yeah, he was happy. <laughs> we were one round from the Stanley Cup, even as a taxi squad. Yeah. To be that close to this, like if you can get close to the Cup at any oh, yeah. chance, you'll take it. But then the Bruins played the Oilers, and it was the Oilers. Cup first time without Gretzky after yep. the trade, and the Oilers won the cup. Bill Ranford. Yeah, and then the only uh, so the only cup without Wayne Gretzky for the Oilers. It's funny how that that, that series it was uh, Bill Ranford against Andy Mogan. They had been traded for yeah, each other. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the Oilers had still most of the other most of the team that was still they're, from the dynasty. They were pretty deep. Yeah. yeah, they still had they still had a lot of guys that were around. Yeah. I think they still, and I think at that point, their kid line, they called them, if I'm right, was Adam Graves, 
Joe Murphy and Martin Jelena. I think That's that right. was their kid line. That yeah. really had a great playoff for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, then those are three. Jelena had such a great career, didn't he? Yeah, like, he did. He, yeah. he, he stayed a long time. Like, yeah. I always pick him in my pool. Yeah. He was a playoff performer, <laughs> yeah. too. He was one of those guys that always stepped up in the playoffs. And, uh, and for me, Adam Graves, I mean, he was the same age as me. Um, he's probably the top-rated player in the OHL draft when I was okay. selected in 1985. Yeah. And then we were drafted, both drafted in 1986 in the NHL draft. He went to Detroit. He was but a, he was a great, great, great career. And, he was uh, awesome, yeah. He great could, skill. He Again, play. a guy who could play a, a mean he could skill fight. game. When, yeah. he, when, he, when he fought, he handled business, yeah. too. Like, he was, uh, who was he... Did he protect Messier quite a bit, or was it? Uh, or was it? I'm trying to think. Well, I think he was more. Med- I always was thought he, he was Messier's protege. Like yeah. he was a younger. He Messier was the leader, and he was coming under as yeah. under his wing, and he was kind of like the next. He was going to take over mm-hmm. that role eventually for the team. Well, he married Ty Domi's sister, right? Is that who? Who did Graves? Graves. Oh, I didn't know. I think that. so. I think so. Yeah, I'd have to double check. Oh, but I that think that was, I didn't know. I think there was a relationship uh-huh. there. Yeah, yeah. I always thought he was a again a classy Adam Graves a classy guy played the right way yeah and, yeah, but, yeah and then ton of skill like he he had it all he was one of those guys just a totally complete player play all situations mm-hmm. leadership like so he must have got a lot of respect back when you guys were playing because like for him to be the top draft pick and everything like guys knew he oh was, yeah you know for sure great career in Windsor um, the OHL. Great pro career. Like he, I just thought he was a terrific hockey player. Mm-hmm. Oh, Another guy I played against too, uh, same similar mold, different type of player. He was Brendan Shanahan. Like oh yeah, same thing. Drafted. He's a year younger than me though. Okay. I also played against him, and we played. We were rivals growing up in lacrosse. Oh okay. He played for Mimico. Yep. Or his hometown in, in Toronto, and I played for. Kitchener, my hometown, and yeah, we played lacrosse against each other. Both came into the OHL same year. He was a year younger, an underage, so he was drafted the year after me to the NHL in '87. Him and Pierre Turgeon were the that was the sweepstakes that year. Yep. And then again, what a great career, um, and what he's still involved, like yep. still doing. He's another class guy. Again, played the right, very similar. Played to Adam Gray, played the right way, mm-hmm. did everything. Yeah, could you could One fight, Stanley you could Cups. score, you yeah. could do it all. Yeah, and so I have a question for you. So you guys played lacrosse against each other. You when you were playing lacrosse, did you get any tilts in lacrosse? We haven't well, had any yeah. lacrosse fight <laughs> stories. Um, I didn't play junior lacrosse. Uh, um, we only played minor lacrosse against yeah. each other. So I always knew who he was because dual sport athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a hockey player and a lacrosse player. So there was no real fights in minor lacrosse. And I didn't play junior, not unlike a lot of hockey players. Yeah. Once, once I decided I wanted to be a hockey player, I stopped playing lacrosse. Because it's, it's a it's a rough game. Like um, those yeah, and, and wax. And, and I just focused on training. It was all about. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so much about that. It's just I want to do hockey full time. And then yeah, when I got drafted to the OHL, I made that kind of commitment. This is hockey is my thing. I'm not doing. Yeah. I'm hyper focused on that only. So I didn't want. I wanted to train in the summer skate power skating and i just stopped playing i didn't play junior lacrosse and and back then there was nowhere to go with lacrosse like there was no yeah rock. the toronto rock didn't exist it hadn't developed the way it is no now. it wasn't uh there was no pro game and so 
But you were lot, just playing for the love of the game still. A lot of, of good hockey players played lacrosse. Oh, absolutely. Though. It's a hand-eye coordination. Who's it? Uh, Gretzky, obviously. Was, yeah, uh, John Tavares yep. is a big lacrosse player. Shanahan, we mentioned. Yeah. Was um, Al McInnes one? I can't remember. I'm not sure. He's from down east, and there's yeah. not a lot of lacrosse down yeah. there. But um, I'm not I was sure. mentioning my buddy Scott Metcalf. He played in Brampton. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there's... Uh, a ton of guys that uh, um, David Boland was a good lacrosse player, another tough guy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the similarities are so they're so close. I mean, lacrosse. When you think of box lacrosse, it's played in an arena. Yeah, it's five on. It's like hockey, five on five with a goalie You're wearing you, hockey gloves, hockey helmet. Yeah, and you you have line changes on the fly, just like hockey. You're up and down the floor. Offense, deep. You know, the penalties are very similar. There's fighting we talked about. Well, I always thought the fights in lacrosse are funny to me because, like, hockey, you fight that way for a reason. It's because you're on skates. But in lacrosse, you don't have to fight no. like you're in a hockey <laughs> fight. Like, you could maybe, like, dodge a punch or, like, you could throw yeah. a kick if you wanted to. You I could, think, well... <laughs> <they're> just, <laughs> they just come from the same culture. It's of the like, culture, yeah. And the like, honorable way to yeah. fight, I guess, is... And- you're right. You'll see guys often too. Sometimes they take their helmets off. Sometimes they don't. Yeah. Just like hockey, <laughs> you'll get that acknowledgement from two guys. Okay, let's do it this way yeah. with the buckets off, <laughs> and they grab the collars just like hockey. I think it's just yeah. because most lacrosse players are hockey players. But you'd never do that in an MMA fight. No. But you still have the luxury of fighting but like you were in an MMA fight. You wouldn't you be able to. to kick though. You would get a hefty yeah. suspension for kicking. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah you'd be- <laughs> I mean, you could do it, but you'd pay a price with a suspension. I've never seen it happen. I mean, no, I think it would go viral. <laughs> it would, and uh, that cover. Yeah, there's a penalty for kicking. The, but, I mean, the hand-eye, the playing in tight spaces mm-hmm. in front of the net. Because in the U.S., they play field across. That's more of the predominant sport, yeah, which is outside. States. And they love box players from Canada because they play in tight spaces. Mm. So you're in that arena, in that usually 185 by 85 hockey rink in, mm-hmm. in, um, in Canada where you're getting hit continuously and you got to be able to maneuver. And keep control. Yeah, and that's really, when you think of hockey with all the one-on-one battles all over the ice, that's what lacrosse is. It is a continuous moving one-on-one fight yeah, or exactly. battle where you're battling for body position and just little openings so you can get by someone or get to the net and... And when you're shooting, you're shooting at these tiny little holes. Yeah. Because the goalies, I don't know if you ever watched, huge they're huge. And <laughs> that's smaller. The goalies are bigger. And you got to find... I loved it. I loved that game. I, I loved it as much or more than hockey. But mm-hmm. as I said a few minutes ago, there was no future. Like, yeah. I just saw... And, the, and I guess in Canada, the dream is to be the next Daryl Sittler or Wayne Gretzky. Yeah. It's, insert whatever whoever your hero was right it's more ingrained yeah so that that passion is in your blood mm-hmm. from the hockey world where the lacrosse passion is only in a it's a small community yeah but the hockey passion is you know coast to coast yeah. to coast you're waiting in line at the club if you're a pro lacrosse player right? yeah <laughs> yeah pro hockey player yeah you're going into the VIP lounge yeah <laughs> Yeah. What was it like getting drafted then? Do you get drafted or you're getting uh, like getting called up to the Capitals? Like you, you that know. was a dream come true. I remember. I won't forget that either. Um, the Skipjacks were playing in Portland, Maine. The Bruins, the Boston Bruins, were in Portland back then. Mm-hmm. They're called the Maine Mariners, and we were playing in Portland. And uh, I believe it was yeah, it was a Sunday night, 
Yeah, we beat them, and my coach was Rob Laird that year. He called me into a, a room nearby, just hit one-on-one, and he said, congratulations, you've been called up to oh, Washington. Awesome. You're playing Tuesday in Detroit. And, uh, yeah, I was just beside myself with excitement. Like, I think any player would tell you, like, that first time you get called up, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you've been training and working towards since you were yeah. dreaming of that moment. Even from the day you get drafted, that's just the draft is just a step. It's a good, it's a big step, but it's still not. You haven't got there. Like yeah, you, yeah. Some still... guys get drafted and never, still never play. Mm-hmm. So it's a big step, but it's not the final step. So, yeah, I got called up, and this is another funny story from the book. Uh, the chapter is called "The Goon from Baltimore and Shattered Ice." <laughs> so I got called up. Doug McLean and Brian Murray had incidentally landed in Detroit after being fired by David Poyle in Washington. Terry Murray's the coach of the Capitals, who I had had in Baltimore for a year and a half. First games in Detroit, I was skating around in warm-up. I was really nervous. Like, I felt, it's funny, I felt like I was skating on ski moguls. That's what mm-hmm. I say. Like, I felt like I was going over bumps. Yeah, yeah. And I remember having this mental tug-of-war saying, like, snap out of it. Mm-hmm. There's this is a normal sheet of ice like playing that mental just, it was just nerves mm-hmm. so I was skating around I see Doug McClain he's on the home bench so I, there's my favorite coach from last season who's now coaching the other team yeah. but I thought hey he saw me he's going to say congratulations and I thought I'll go talk to him or at least say hello to calm me down so I go <laughs> skating around I go across the center red line and we make eye contact so I see, he leans in, he's going to say something. So I lean in to listen, and he goes, Hey, Seth, I told Probert you're the goon called up from Baltimore. <laughs> oh, no. Now I cruise by, I quick do a double take, and I look back at him because I'm moving. And I'm, and now my mind's going, is he screwing with your head, or does he really mean <laughs> this? I don't know. So now I thought, okay, I'm not going over there anymore. I'm staying away from the bench. <laughs> Finish warm-up. We go back into the room. I'm excited again, still excited to get this game going. And Terry Murray comes in and he goes, the starting lineup is Hunter, Seftel, Drews. So I was thinking, like, this is fantastic. A lot of times you start your first game, right? Yeah. They do that for you. Just That's why not? Cool. Yeah. A lot of time family's there and it's your first game. So they put you on the Get ice. it out of the way. Yeah. And, yeah. So I'm out. So, but now I'm on the blue line for the national anthem and I'm standing there. I'm a left winger. And what players do, you want to know, you know, who am I playing against mm-hmm. on the other side? You're just, that's part of the preparation. So I'm on the blue line. I look across. I know I'm going to be against Detroit's right winger. And there he is, number 24, Bob Probert. Oh, man. And now I'm thinking. First game, too. I'm thinking, the, the okay. Toughest of all time. Okay, Mac, were you just playing? Is this a head game or did you just yank in my chain? Did you t- did you really tell him that? Because you know, I, like we said earlier, I'm not the pugilist, but I'm the big guy. He's a big guy. He's a bigger guy. Yeah, but I'm six yeah. three. He's probably six four and outweighs me by. Sometimes being a big guy is is enough for a, for a <laughs> yeah. fighter. Just want to. Well, yeah. you're big enough. I'll beat so, on you. So. <laughs> With all the other thoughts going through my head, that was the that was one I didn't want to have to worry about. Yeah. So anyway, we, the long story short is we line up, and we did bump into each other on that shift in in our in the Washington zone on the sideboards. He didn't say a word, didn't look at me, nothing. 
And at that moment, I thought, okay, this was just a yanking of the chain. <laughs> That's and, a great prank. <laughs> yeah. And we won that game in overtime, so that made that game kind of special. Oh, cool. To win on the road in overtime in your first game. And then years later, to kind of follow up to this, is I read Bob Probert's book. Mm-hmm. And he talks about that era or that time period in his life. And what he said in the book is, unless you were a legitimate tough guy, if you were called up like myself from the minors, yeah. you weren't getting the time of day from him. No, he was so valuable to his team on and the ice too. he basically said, I got, yeah, that coupled with, he said, I don't have anything to prove to some kid I never heard of. So mm-hmm. I really had nothing to worry about is my point that day because yeah, he wasn't yeah. looking to make, he wasn't going to fight me. Yeah, unless you did something. Yeah, yeah, unless I, or yeah, exactly. But if I, yeah, so I had nothing to worry about. And, but it's a, it's a classic story. Oh yeah, that's great. <laughs> I've heard two times in the last couple of years, I've heard Doug McLean tell that story on Rogers. Oh, uh, that's funny. Sports, on uh, <laughs> the sports pro, center. Spo, uh, at hockey, hockey Central at noon. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's told that story because him and Nick Kip- Kiprios used to be on there together. Yeah. And they've talked about that Baltimore Skipjack team that we were all together with oh, in 1990. Cool. So the the skipjacks have come up, and he so Doug's told that story twice. That's great. <laughs> and I heard it once; and made me laugh. <laughs> they were all giving the panel was all giving him a hard time. Saying, Why would you do that to him? <laughs> that's his sense of humor. He's a funny guy. That's, He's a great guy. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> and uh, that's a, a classic story. And I asked Doug to write the foreword for my book because yep. he was my favorite coach. And I went to see him in Toronto uh, in March. Of uh, of this year, and I asked him, and he gracious graciously accepted to do it. I mean, that hockey family has totally embraced me uh, with the book, and and that was part of that going to see him and just, just reconnecting. Because for a lot of years, I, I stayed away from the hockey world. Yeah, and so I think that's uh, an interesting uh, time to talk about uh, one of the motivations for writing the book, and uh, one of the reasons why your career ended a little bit shorter than what you know what you would have uh, probably wanted to uh, yeah so tell tell me a bit about uh, some of the stuff that you went through as a player and uh, and uh, you know how it got you to where you are now yeah I always struggled with some mental illness and but I didn't know it at the time what I was so I always had uh, anxiety panic kind of an obsessive compulsive behaviors that led to that but I mean hockey players do a lot of things habitually anyway yeah it's just part of our you think nature. Maybe superstition, yeah. Or, you know, but and those those behaviors turned to anxiety, and that anxiety turned to panic. And but I didn't know what it was until February of two thousand. Keep going. Again. Yeah. February of two thousand eighteen is when I had a what I call a mental breakdown and had to leave my employment, take time off work because I was in a bad place mentally, and I. Finally decided to get some help and treatment. And what I realized is I was suffering from a mental illness that was never diagnosed. Mm-hmm. And I went to some therapy and my therapist said, I want you to go home. She said, you know Michael Landsberg? And I said, I do. And she said, I want you to go home and listen to his videos. He talks about mental health mm-hmm. and mental illness. And that was the first time in my life I heard someone talk about it. And it really... Kind of shook me. It was a relief, but it yeah. also shook me kind of the core to realize that there's bigger, something bigger going on here than just being anxious all the time. Yeah, and allowed me to that listening to him speak allowed gave me the confidence to go find more help 
mm-hmm. which certainly helped me. And I, and I went to see uh, my doctor, uh, a social worker, and a psychotherapist, and I got the help I needed. And then I was home, I was off work, and I started writing the book, and the book became a therapy because I got a lot of these stories out that were yeah. buried for years that I didn't share with people. Mm-hmm. I always thought the hockey world turned their back on me, but it was really me fighting with myself. You internalized things yeah. and didn't uh, didn't address them because yeah. you didn't know what was going on. Yeah, right? I went so, inward, yeah. and I dealt with everything by myself, and I kept that world away. I, I pushed them back. I always convinced myself they were pushing me away, but it was me pushing them away. That's interesting. And meeting Doug in March of this year was one of the first steps to actually em- embracing someone again from the hockey world. Yeah. And I, I think I went to him because he was a trusted coach and I had so much respect for him as a hockey man. And I just trusted him to to lay this out for yeah, and he asked me to come see him in Toronto. We had a great discussion. We spoke over lunch for a couple hours and talked about the old days and nice. where I was at now and what I had been going through. And it's amazing how many other people know have family members who are also yeah or struggling or know somebody who's struggling. And mm-hmm. we had a great chat. And I asked him to write the forward, and and that was the first time that I shared it with uh, someone from the hockey world. And it was a a great thing for me. It's a big step, right? Yeah. And then, and then I, I think it's, it's important to say like, you know, a book like this and, uh, it, things that like Michael Landsberg is, is doing the, the awareness that's uh, coming out now about mental health and stuff. I think I, I'm hoping that that will help other players who are dealing with it. Cause I think, you know, as young hockey players, you don't get a lot of, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of them don't, you know, finish high school. They keep, you know, they, they focus so much on hockey they don't maybe educate themselves on some of the things that they might be going through. And, and hopefully the teams in the league start, you know, continue to implement more policies to, uh, to understand their players and what they're going through and help these young guys. Cause it's, you know, you really do need that type of guidance when you're a young man and you leave uh, home at a, at a young yeah. age and you know, you're on the road, you're living, you're forced to grow up in a, a much different way. Yeah. And so if, if you don't constantly have people that are checking in on you, um, you know, the, the stuff like that can get away from you, right? So, and I think you're as we've talked about almost through this whole conversation with the hockey stories is you there is a warrior mentality to yeah. play hockey, and I think there's a fine line between you have to be that warrior, but you also have to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, though, there's that's blurred and yeah. doesn't mesh. So, especially with mental health, because we haven't talked about it openly until the last really recently it's 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 just gaining strength now Mm -hmm. as something that people are getting comfortable with but so you have to be as a player willing to look at yourself honestly and say how do i feel mentally and then deal with it but at the same time be that competitor Mm -hmm. that the sport requires you to be yeah because it can be a lonely road playing hockey and you see some of these guys you know i mean we lost a few rick ripon and he he dealt with a lot of that and uh and you just see the um, uh, the effects that it has, you know, even the uh, the depression that comes from the concussion, the yeah. post concussion uh, syndrome, and some of the guys that are are really struggling with that now. So it's I think it's good having vocal people um, who are out in the public eye that are are, are bringing attention to it, and, and hopefully other people see, you know, what's happening, and and people feel more comfortable that they can that they can reach out. Yeah. And one thing my one of my therapists said to me is with mental health, 
if you don't deal with it outwardly and you keep it all internal, mm-hmm. eventually you either implode, which is self-harm, yep. you explode, which is hurt others, or you get sick. Mm-hmm. She said, eventually your body says enough and it, it deals with it in yeah. not good ways. And uh, for my case, I got sick and my entire body started to swell. It was it's amazing. The body is an amazing thing, but my mental illness caused me physical symptoms that prevented me from leaving the house wow yeah and it took me a year and a half to kind of get that corrected but once i started to actually deal with it Mm -hmm. openly and seek the help i needed i have a question for you and this is uh have you have you uh tried cbd for for uh anxiety how's that i have tried it and some people i know yeah i've tried it this summer i'm on medication as well from my family physician Mm -hmm. i find the cbd does have some positive effects yeah it's finding the right amount that works for you yeah because um, a friend of mine who's a comedian he said he struggled with uh, anxiety for his whole yeah. life and and then he got on the cbd and it's like balanced him out so much like it's just an interesting uh, yeah thing that it definitely, i'm hearing more guys talk about it and so. i've talked to my doctor about it um and he was comfortable with me using it mm-hmm. so i mean now that it's legal in canada it's le- i bought i Ontario doesn't seem to be up to speed yet, but I was yeah. in New Brunswick this uh, past summer, and they they are they're ready to go with their uh, their provincial stores. Mm-hmm. So it's just like going to the liquor store. Yeah, and I went in a store there and and did and they give you some great instruction and uh, yeah information. It was really good. You get a one on one basically tutorial on it and and about doses and. Oh, that's cool. So I did go in and purchase some in, in a capsule form to try, and Very it does cool. help. Yeah. One of our sponsors for the podcast is a is Absolute Nature CBD oil. I wasn't oh. trying to even do oh, it as okay. like a shameless plug, oh. but I was. It's something I'm really interested in because I do know that, like, I again, one of my really good friends was yeah. saying that he he has that he he's had anxiety his whole life, and that's what like really he never felt comfortable until he got got onto it. So I just think that that was. Uh, yeah, interesting. Uh, well, you know, relevant to the topic, and and other yeah. uh, former players have talked about the CBD stuff. I think it helps them with their injuries. Like uh, mm-hmm. Ryan Vandenbush was on, and he was saying that that he use he uses that too. So I know a cream form also helps. Uh, yeah, topically with injuries that I've had in the past. Yeah. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. And there's no psych a psychedelic effect from it. It's just yeah. a topical. There's pain no THC. Relieve. It's yeah. just the. But I was disappointed when I came back to Ontario. Like, I'm thinking, why are we so far behind on this? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, New Brunswick was all ready to go. They're on it. It was, <laughs> it was nice to uh, have that opportunity, at least if you needed it, to mm-hmm. go in. Because here I don't really even know where I to go for it, which is... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like the... I don't know many of the companies in in Canada, like like our sponsors in the states. So they, oh, okay. you know, they're yeah. they're out of uh, the tech out of Texas, but they're you know ne- mm-hmm. across the U.S. But you can't get that product in Canada. So I had good success too with my. Uh, I had a, I went to see a naturopath. Yep. And another big thing that I altered was my diet. Okay. So something. I was more aware of as a hockey player when I was playing, but yeah. after playing, maybe didn't. Pay yeah. as much attention to. Doesn't matter as much. Yeah. As you're, yeah. <laughs> you know, they used to call that when you were playing, we would always say, you know, that's the fuel for the machine is the what you put in your body. Yeah. It wasn't always good then either. But um, but less so after I stopped playing, I didn't really pay attention. But my naturopath got me to change my diet. 
and I found that's helped my mental health as well. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so glad that you joined that we were able to do this here and join us on the podcast. Uh, everyone who's listening, you can get Shattered Ice on Amazon dot uh, com and uh, where, where else can they can they find it? Amazon.ca as well ca. for Canada. Yeah. I also sold one just for fun. I sold just for the listeners. I sold one on Amazon.au, which is Australia. Oh, nice! A Canadian from Prescott, Ontario. Oh, cool! Who <laughs> lives in uh, Australia? He bought one down there. Oh, but yeah, Amazon.ca, Amazon.com. If you're in southern Ontario, I'm in Indigo in Waterloo, Kitchener in London. And then uh, I'm in Wordsworth Books in Waterloo, Fanfare in Stratford, uh, Book Express in Cambridge, Merrifield in Woodstock, uh, Green Heron in Paris. Looking for heroes in Kitchener. Blown up, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Zenfire and St. Mary's. So I've hit uh, a number of the Coles in Stratford. I've hit a number of the local bookstores. That's great. I've got my last book signing in Kingston okay. on November 16th, and it'll be available in Indigo, Kingston as well. Right on. But uh, for the larger audience, we're hitting the Amazon.ca. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah it's been a great experience. Um, I've had lots of support for it so far. and That's great. Yeah, it's been a wonderful opportunity, and I had my first, my book launch was in Waterloo in August, my official one, and I had a great turnout at the Huther Hotel here with about 150 friends and family, it's been, it's been great. That's great, man, well, congratulations on the book, and again, thanks so much for being part of Fight Stories, guys, it's Steve Septel, check out Shattered Ice, Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, or some of your local bookstores uh, across uh, Canada. Thanks for having me, we uh, shared some great old stories that uh, I love telling, and that are in the book and thanks for making the time for me. Absolutely, man.